0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of a Market Disruptor Show, a very special edition, as we are sitting outside over one of my favorite pieces of the earth in the entire world. I'm joined by my friend Lior Gantz here. He's the founder of the Wealth Research Group. He's an international investor who's from Israel, and he has a very unique perspective on what's going on with the financial system and especially in regards to the world. So conversation that we've been trying to set up for a really long time. I'm glad we could do this one in person. Lior, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, boy, like I said, we've been trying to line this up for a while. I know we, we talked quite a bit. Um, and you have such a unique perspective that I'm, I'm happy to dig into today and, and share with everybody. Uh, but but you know, I know you obviously, we've talked for quite a long, long time, but why don't you give some people the background as to uh, what it is that you're working on and looking at what you do? Absolutely.
1: Uh, so wealthresearchgroup.com is a free financial newsletter. I birthed wealthresearchgroup.com in early 2016 because the Fed raised rates on um, for the first time in years in December 15th, 2015. And my backstory is sort of a tragedy. Um, it, when I was 13, my dad went bankrupt. His business went bankrupt. And he literally told me, Go out, go out there into the world. Start making money. So I babysit. I did all sorts of things to save money. Yeah. And by the time I'm 16, Mark, I have like 20k saved up. This is, wow. uh, yeah, this is the year 2000. I, I was,
0: you know, and this is in Israel. This is in Israel. It's in Israel. So I'm,
1: okay. I'm babysitting. I'm, I'm coaching basketball. I'm handing out flyers. I'm doing everything and just saving, saving, saving. And the banker, when I was 16, he says, "Look, you have money in this account. Why don't you start making your money work?" And obviously, foreign to me. He told me, get your parents here. They can sign a waiver. As a minor, you can start trading. It was back then it was mutual funds. Yeah. And uh, I got them to do that. And then I told him like, how should I start? And he gave me two books, Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett. Mm, I'm 16. Good books. Yeah, I'm 16. I'm thinking about uh, like what to do with those two books. And I'm one of those kids in high school where it's like the history book and then a Warren Buffett book inside. Yeah. And Warren Buffett gave me the uh, idea that brands matter. And Peter Lynch gave me the idea that I can do it because his book is all about his daughter, his teenage daughter, picking like his best, his best winners. Okay. Um, and so that's how I got into business, entrepreneurship, uh, investing. Um, and I really like the fact that these billionaires read, uh, write books and want to teach and so that's how my newsletter started, because I was trying to empower other people with the same sorts of uh, uh, ideas.
0: Now I'm curious, I know about half the audience is international, and um, I know mostly what I focus on is United States market, Central Bank, Federal Reserve, et cetera. Uh, but I always say that you know it's a global financial system, and what happens with the dollar, because it's the reserve currency of the world, affects the rest of the world. But I'm curious, coming from Israel, um, and obviously, it's, at the time, 16, you were in Israel. And you, you you got investor books. Warren Buffett, one of the greatest well-known investors in the United States. I mean, you started investing your money. Were you investing into U.S. markets? Or were you investing into Israel markets?
1: So, uh, Israel's market is so small compared to the United States. And that's exactly what they teach you in Israel. Like, if you if you want the opportunity, and especially in a global world, go to the United States. Okay. It's amazing how you know with a flick of a button you can buy equities in the world's best financial market right with the biggest companies you have nothing to do with america you've never been to america at 16 and you can own a piece of business that's running in the other side of the ocean so that's immediately true. i flocked there what happened to me was i i started selling clothes at 13 so what i knew were clothing brands and so uh, Buffett gave me the idea that I need to go with the powerful brand and Peter Lynch gave me the idea that I need to only stick with what I know. Right. So I I started to research all these different brands and I learned that they're all owned by this holding company yeah. that's 100 years old. So my first stock that I bought is a company that's still around. It's it's been around since the the late 1890s. Its stock price went from 16, I'm sorry, from $6 when I bought it to now approximately 100. Uh, dollars a a share so in like 20 years and its dividend has increased by 700 percent wow it's a dividend aristocrat type company which i love um and and that that's really the the essence of my investing style good powerful brands and at the same time something that i can understand the competitive landscape as much as i can
0: yeah what a a great story um i love it uh, for a couple reasons one um it shows that Anybody can do this. Not to say you're not extraordinary, but when you were young, you just started doing odd jobs and you saved up money. So, first, it starts with living on less than you earn, so you can save money. Only when you save money do you have money or capital to deploy. So, that's kind of the first step, so I love that. Um, And then, no matter where you were in the world, you found the best markets, right? And so, a lot of times people feel like they're stuck in a local area, but the whole world is open to us today. Hey guys, let me just interrupt this interview real quick just to plug the show sponsor and that is BlockFi. Now BlockFi is doing amazing things in the Bitcoin finance space. As a matter of fact, they've cracked some really big news by bringing on the ex-CFTC chair, Chris Giancarlo, um, and they are one of the most transparent, most heavily regulated um, companies inside the United States, which gives me a lot of trust um, into what their services are. Now, I've recently did a video talking about how to retire off of Bitcoin. And you can do that by leveraging debt and interest against Bitcoin and BlockFi is the the number one company in the United States or maybe in the world to go to and use. Um, They are leading the charge, they're paying interest on your Bitcoin if you park it with them or you can borrow against it. Now, as I broke down in that video, you can borrow against your Bitcoin and when you take debt against it, it's not taxable. It's not a taxable event. You can use that debt for anything that you want including to live off of, to leverage up and buy more or roll it into another asset. Um, You can do something like I've done recently, like sell some real estate, put that money into Bitcoin Now, as that Bitcoin price has risen, I'm able to borrow against it and go back and buy the same real estate or something similar. And I still own the Bitcoin and I also own the new asset as well. Lots of ways you can do this. Um, And BlockFi is the company that I recommend. Down in the description, I have a link that you can click on. If you choose to use that link, you can earn up to $250 in Bitcoin just for using that link. So check out BlockFi now. So I love those key pieces. Now, um, what you say is your investing style is a little bit different than what I know you from uh you know i think that investing in the best brands per warren buffett the value investing if you will buy the best brands hold them forever like he's on coca-cola forever that seemed to work good it doesn't seem like it works good today uh mainly because businesses aren't in the business of making money anymore it seems like businesses are in the money of raising money maybe increasing sales but not actually making money as in making profits. And it seems like Warren Buffett's had a pretty rough time the last decade or so. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So a couple of great insights there, and I think uh, what's most important is these companies that are now uh, starting to operate and are growing, they have a really different business model. They're not trying to get to profitability. What they're trying to do is get to a enough market share so that customers flock to them and then they want to sell that company to another company that is how their business model is they don't care if they're perpetually losing money all they care about is their brand value is increasing right they get more sales more uh, you know more attention of the market and then they can sell it to an operator that knows how to cut the fat and create an actual business from it that's Uber for you, that's Tesla, such such All of these companies that at, at the beginning... But none of them have figured it out yet. Yes, they're losing money perpetually, but they're gaining market share and they're just looking for that strategic buyer right. to, to buy them out. And Buffett has been underperforming the markets for almost two decades. One thing that I, that, uh, I think is really important about Buffett is he has a blind spot for gold, for example, because uh, Berkshire has an insane amount of cash on hand at all times. And if he instead... Of uh, looking for ways to park that money in treasuries, would have parked that money in gold. For the past two decades, for example, when gold was 250 an ounce, now it's 1,800 an ounce. Berkshire would have already been a trillion-dollar company just because of its cash position. So he has a huge blind spot with that, and we don't, you know, we don't have to to go into uh, great detail about his blind spots with technology. He missed Bezos, he yeah. missed, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, etc. A lot of people. Uh, miss those people but he had Bill Gates on his board of directors and he's never invested in Microsoft so I find that uh, Buffett doesn't have uh, that kind of an open mind or open mindedness to uh, investing in general he likes and he calls it a circle of competence he likes to stay within these companies that he really understands and I get that but your channel is all about these Three uh, converging trends, right. these big trends. Right. And I remember when I read about Mar- Marconi, the inventor of the radio, whose family wanted to institutionalize him when he told them that there's invisible waves in- around the the, uh, the globe that I can connect people with. Right. They were like, "Are you are you mad?" Yeah. And so uh, his their minds were not as revolutionary as they needed to be at that time. And I feel like that's Buffett's mistake. Yeah. He's just not open.
0: What may be his mistake, though, is, as you said, uh, it's his circle of competence. And also what you said with Peter Lynch is invest in what you know. So what I try to tell people is everybody has their own individual investor DNA. So I have my own wants, needs, and desires, my own time frame, my own risk tolerances. But I also have my own interests. And so in order to be really good at something, you got to put the time in. And if I'm not interested in it, if I don't like it, I'm never going to put the time in right and so um, if you if you jump into stuff that you haven't put the time into it increases your risk level and so we're always trying to invest for risk now most beginning investors don't have this part right which is they invest for the upside whereas when you find more professional investors always trying to manage the downside and so if you start investing in stuff you don't know it increases that risk um, so is it so I do understand what you're saying the blind spots but it's worked out pretty well for him. So do you think more people should invest in what they know or spend the time to know that stuff better?
1: Absolutely. But my point is that he should grow his circle of competence. Right. It almost seems like it's, that is fixated. He doesn't want to leave that circle of competence and spend the time to grow it. Yeah. And, and, and grow with the times. Insurance is his crown jewel. Right. But you know okay so increase that circle of competence i think that's amazing another thing that's amazing mark is that you can find now instead of hunt for the deals hunt for the company spend all the time looking at a specific investment why don't you hunt the hunters so that's something i focused on in the last two years why don't i spend the time to build the relationships with fund managers which this is what they would do they they would spend all this time so I like to now hunt for hunters. Mm, I like that. So instead- so That's a
0: time hack right there.
1: Exactly, it's a time hack. I remember 2008, I go to Phoenix, Arizona, I try to look for deals after the crash. And I spend all day driving in a van with a realtor, trying to find one deal in a month, because you're going for these under the radar, below market deals. And 30 days later, I have one deal in hand. After, after uh, um, you know, offering, hundreds of, uh, of offers, writing everything up. It seemed insane. And so what I did was I said, how can I flip this? What company provides this value that I can invest in directly? And that opened my mind to hunting for hunters. And, and I've done it ever since. And I like that part because you find one guy and you can ride with him for years. So that's another thing that I I just like to throw out there.
0: That's something that I talk about all the time, which is success leaves clues. And so I always have used that as a shortcut to lots of success throughout my life. So when I'm evaluating new companies, I'm always going to like start with the team. Does the team have a history of success? If they do, then that shortcuts a lot of my work. Um, I always like to be, I never want to be the smartest person in the deal. So who's in the deal that's smarter than me again, following success, the hunter, if you will, uh, or just following the hunters, as you said. So that's that's, that's a great piece of advice. Um, Now, you started at 16, you started investing into this kind of value world. As we've talked about the thing, the markets have changed. Uh, Buffett hasn't been keeping up with the markets in the last two decades, as you said. So where do you see the state of the market and investing today? I mean, it seems like it's a pretty dangerous world right now. What's your kind of uh, big worldview that we can kind of dive into?
1: Absolutely, I think in general, we've reached a point where interest rates are not going to uh, go through what they did in the late 70s where there's gonna be a new Fed chair after Powell's gone and he's gonna say, okay, we need to kill this environment of artificially low rates. I think this is not artificially low. I think this is it. The the financial system as it's built today is not equipped to normalize rates where they're like three or four or 5%. Two reasons. One, we don't live in a vacuum. America already pays the best uh, rate to its lenders.
0: The, high, the highest interest rate. Absolutely. Yeah. Not so mo- only... most of the world's negative already, and we're still paying a positive rate.
1: Exactly. Most people don't think about that. You're, you're not finding just uh, stocks versus bonds. You're fighting other company, uh, other countries. That's why uh, when Trump was around, he was like, lower to zero. What's yeah. going to happen? What's the everybody is at zero. Right. So, um, but obviously, being the reserve currency, you have other things to consider. So I think that's important. In December 2018, they, um, the Federal Reserve signaled that their autopilot rate hikes are not over, and they raised rates to 2.25. And what happened? The market totally rejected that. It says enough. What, 2.25, that's too much. 20% drop in one month for the S&P 500. Right. called all these banks. It was like, are you all right? Are you capitalized? Yeah. Nothing was wrong. There was nothing wrong except interest rates were 2.25, and that was just too much. Yeah. And so after everything, and now with an entire generation of people recapitalizing on their mortgages, all these corporations that are banking on low interest rates, It's over. In this kind of environment, I don't think interest rates are artificially low. I think they're artificially fixed. Mm -hmm. They're fixed to these low rates because the world is just based off of it. That's it. Um, Corporations, individuals, households, pension, the whole thing is built under this environment. And so the Fed is not even thinking so much about interest rates policies. It's thinking about yield curve control. It's thinking about other concepts of how to operate in this world. And now when you and I operate in that world, we need to think about that as well. For example, uh, companies like Amazon or Apple, etc., they have better debt than the United States government. And so they're, they're almost quasi-bonds, quasi-companies. They're growing faster than many other companies, plus they're safer. That's why their PE ratios can go to 30, 40, 50, and the traditional investors those that say you know bitcoin is worthless the the value the 80 year old value investor that likes to look at things like benjamin graham looked at them right after the great depression when you stripped something to the bone you were like okay what is mark worth that's the skin that's his shades that's his right. teeth what is he worth i want a liquidation con- no you have to pay a premium in today's world because there are very few bankruptcies and companies are growing really fast. You need to you need to be with the times. If you try to look for companies at a 15 P ratio, like the standard, you're not gonna
0: invest anything. Right. You're never gonna find it.
1: Exactly. So it it, it is dangerous because you're paying higher multiples for companies. But in the grand scheme of things, if you look at all of the stock market, at real estate, at other uh, asset classes, it's all expensive. We live in an expensive world and we have to invest with this thing in mind that anything we do is gonna be expensive. A deal or something that's like cheap is either in a boom bust uh, industry, for example, mining, where you can go like down 80% and then up 400 500 that's fine so if you live in that world of the boom and bust cycles that's fine but you can't have the majority of your money in that right it's it's not sustainable you can't um operate uh, a full 40 years worth of investing from 20 until 65 just you know on right. a roller coaster because
0: then then your retirement's based off of luck where are you retiring in that boom and bust cycle i agree so I you, couldn't so agree you can't you can't have that so I know you, uh, you spent a lot of time looking at gold and gold miners and that type of an asset. You already talked about Warren Buffett missing out on that. Um, it seemed like uh, when the pandemic happened last year and the, the money printer turned on, uh, gold shot up. You know, rate, not only did the, did the interest rates drop, the money printer shot up, uh, gold shot up. But then since August of last year, it's just been kind of in this downtrend. Last couple of months, it's been kind of coming back up. Uh, but back to this environment that we're in, uh, inflation and inflation is like here in a big way the cpi numbers at the time of this recording just came out yesterday and they are not good now that's a that's a manipulated number but even their manipulated number was not good yeah. but we did see gold respond to that what are your thoughts on the driver of gold and the, and how gold will work through this environment that we have
1: okay i think gold is very misunderstood for most people when they start out in their minds the equation is gold inflation hedge that's the equation and that's not true if you look at gold and you plot inflation on it they don't they don't correlate at uh over the long term so does the dollar if you plot the dollar index with gold those don't correlate gold correlate with what's called real interest rates which is the difference between the bond yields and inflation so if you have high bond yields and high inflation, in, the, in, in the, the sum of it, there's no negative interest rates. What you're looking for is for the bond rates to be X, but for uh, inflation to be 2X. Then you have a negative interest rate environment, which is what you saw between that March and August period where it just rallied. The market anticipated very negative interest rates. August 6th, 2020, when gold peaked at $2,069 an ounce, the same day, bond yields bottom, And so bond yields bottom at, at 0.5% for the 10 year and rallied 200% right. into February when they reached 1.7%. And people were like, where? There's, there's inflation, why is yeah. gold not at 4,000 or 5,000? Well, it's because that equation was going more towards bonds than towards inflation. And so when you look at this, at at uh, from the bigger picture and where this is going, I think bond yields have peaked and that's why you're seeing gold coming back from a double bottom at around 16.96 an ounce. That's one thing I think you're seeing. And the second thing, I think inflation and the whole transitory uh, debate is important that we kind of have a minute on it. Transitory is like an abstract term. What is transitory? Yeah, trans- I don't know
0: what transitory is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: So here's, here's how I, I like to say it. I invested in a real estate fund, which bought 300 units. And their business model is to wait until leases expire, take the, take the tenants out, make the, the unit better, bring higher quality tenants or higher paying tenants. Now, the business model is, is a three-year plan to do this. But if you look at the quarterlies, or the weeklies, or the monthlies, you're gonna get all these different expenses, spikes, empty units, yeah. a mess. Yeah, That's this transitory environment that we're going through, Yeah, right? Used cars are selling for more than new cars. Yeah, it, Housing, lumber, up, down, it's a big mess because we haven't reached the end of shutting down the whole global financial system in March of 2020. Right. So we're in this messy period, and when it ends, we're gonna see where the chips fall. In the meantime, we have this transitory environment. So that is this transitory environment. At the end of it, we want to see 200 units fixed up with tenants in them, and then we can sell it to a turnkey investor. In the meantime, there's a jungle. So I think if you invest in this time, you need to be thinking, do I wanna be just in cash? I wanna be outside, I don't wanna deal with a jungle, like one of those investors that wants to see a finished unit, or do I wanna be inside and capitalize on the jungle because that's where the opportunity is and when you look at opportunities within that jungle inflation definitely is an opportunity because you have the fed on one hand thinking it's transitory you have the cpi numbers that obviously are massaged and then you have surveys of consumers where they're saying i think inflation is going up it's going up so you have asset inflation one thing consumer inflation another thing and i think those Uh, suits that are worried about asset inflation and bubbles in the markets etc are not thinking that the average american is seeing right through this thing right through the currency supply and everything else and what's amazing is that all of this is happening while velocity of money is at the lowest it's been since the great depression imagine if, if money starts flowing again big time
0: Hey, sorry to interrupt this video just one more time. I'm not running Google ads, so it's actually way less interruption than I normally would have on a video. um, And that's because it's sponsored by BlockFi. Um, They are. Opening up the world of Bitcoin and financial products, offering to pay you interest on your Bitcoin, um, better than owning a rental property that you have to manage and control and have the risks. You can just earn interest on it or you can leverage against it. Now, I plan to hold my Bitcoin forever and literally never sell my Bitcoin. So, how do you do that? Well, if I need money, I don't want to sell that Bitcoin. I'm going to pay tax on it. All right. I'm going to end up with less and I don't have the Bitcoin anymore. So, a better way to do it is to borrow against the Bitcoin. So, I've put all my money. Into Bitcoin. If I want to buy a car or I want to buy a house, I can borrow against it at very, very low competitive rates, get my house, get my car, whatever that may be, and get to keep the Bitcoin. I've done a whole video on this. Uh, You can find it. I'll link it down in the description below how to retire off of Bitcoin without paying taxes. And you can do that with BlockFi services. Uh, I'll I'll link to the video down below. I'm also going to put a link to BlockFi. If you choose to click on that link to check them out, you can earn up to $250 in free Bitcoin just for using that link. And that's it. Let's go ahead. And get back to the interview. Well, the uh, so, so much to unpack just there. In regards to velocity of money, so the velocity of money measures how fast the money moves through the system or how fast people are spending it. I give twenty bucks to my to, to the guy to fix my tire. He takes the twenty bucks and goes and buys more supplies. They take it and go restock their shelves. And that same twenty moved through the, the system three times. Um, it's hard to see. I mean, besides their charts telling us that v, that velocity's dropped, but everybody's spending. So we have as- or consumer good prices going through the roof because we have more money chasing the same amount or less goods and services available. You can't get a bicycle, a kayak, a used car. You can't get anything. Everybody's spending. So how is velocity down?
1: Two reasons. One, because prices are going up, people are delaying some of the spending. That's one thing that's important. Secondly, there's so much money in idle cash, either at the sovereign wealth level or the pension fund level, and you know, for for most Americans, they have cars, they have homes. This is not a developing economy. This is not like China, right. where I I have still not purchased a toaster, I still haven't purchased a house. You you guys have everything. So you want a new iPhone? That's fine, but you already have one. You want a new watch? That's fine. You already have one. Right. So the velocity of money is moving at a pace of a very developed economy. You guys have everything, right? And so it's very different. That's why velocity of money is really slow because you've created so much money that it just cannot move faster. You've created 25% of the world's currency ever in one year. And so even if I want to, there's $4.4 trillion right now sitting in money market accounts in the United States. Unheard of,
0: unheard of. Well, and I think you brought up a good point, which is uh, inflation is a very nuanced argument. So there's lots of different types of inflation. So there's asset inflation, which is the price of your stocks, your real estate, your gold, but there's consumer price index or consumer price inflation, which is the cost of your goods and services. And so with all that money, in in the institutions and the hedge funds, which would typically drive asset prices, maybe that's parked. Probably when it comes to velocity measured in consumer goods and services, it's probably moving much faster.
1: Exactly, it's also nuanced. Yeah. It's definitely that way. In fact, I I was in Vegas uh, previous week and I went into a store and literally the doorman, the security guard told me, the store is empty. Do you have an (laughs) appointment? Yeah, like if you want to discuss future buys, but our show our showroom is over. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of, and that's has to do with stimulus checks. People delayed their purchases for a, a year or so while this, all this was happening. This is all part of this transitory environment. You know, um, I'm a I'm a race car fan. I love to watch Formula One. 2008. You know it's it's like a Formula 1 where the team tells you you need to pit. You need to pit. There's a mechanical problem. You right. have you cannot continue driving. Go in and pit. We'll right. change your tires, we'll fuel you up, but we have to change some some of the things. That takes time. That takes 30 seconds. You go in, 30 seconds, you go out, you have fresh tires. It takes time to recover. That's a recovery from a problem. That's 2008. 2020, you have a race car that's driving fast. The economy was booming under it was booming everything was going well low unemployment and then there's just somebody with a sign that says stop for no for no reason the car is absolutely fine you stop they charge you up with turbos which is these you know stimulus checks they buy all these junk bonds the the federal reserve or or said they would buy junk bonds they create all this currency and then the guy moves the stop sign moves And, and now you go back to a full recovery in no time that's a boom yeah. So we're in a boom and not in a recovery. And that's the big difference. In 2008, you go, you have to go through millions of these foreclosures and the whole thing starts all over yeah. again. Now you have a car already running at full pace. And if you're not ready for that and you think you're in a slow recovery, that's different. That's why people can't find the jobs they want because the economy has changed. You need new skills. You need to get on because it's a boom. That's the big difference because we didn't have any problem with the race car. In fact, we turbocharged turbo it. Our big problem is inflation, where the car overheats, Yeah. where, where you burn out everything. Burn out the tires. Exactly.
0: So, um, man, there's so much that we could dig into on every one of these points, but, but we've, we've, we've ca- talked about a lot. So, based off of kind of what we set the stage for, where we're at today, how do you look at the rest of this year and next year? Uh, The raging debate is inflation or deflation. Do we have a deflationary bust where asset prices crash? Um, Or does the Fed keep pushing asset prices higher? What do you think about the next 12 to 18 months? And how should investors be observing it, paying attention, and thinking about playing that?
1: Okay. So what I like is that the Fed knows how fragile the markets are to everything that they say. And so they choose their words, like uh, like Steven Spielberg writes scripts, yeah. it's, it's measured. Okay, so I don't think July, I don't think in, in the July meeting they're gonna announce anything new. In September, they will address inflation. They will say either we're tapering, which just means they're gonna buy less bonds and, and less mortgage-backed securities. But what they like to do is once they announce a taper, they say you have 18 months until we raise rates. So, I don't think anyone needs to worry about raising rates right now. It's not happening in 2021. I don't think it's going But even
0: even when they talk about potentially raising it, like they did... They move the markets. They move the markets.
1: Absolutely. So, what are the sectors that that are going to be moved by interest rates, etc.? One thing is high-flying tech. All of these companies that have a P ratios of 70 and higher... Because they're growing sales at 50 percent and whatnot, they're going to be very impacted by higher interest rates. But what is the threshold? Where does it really matter? There's the initial shock. They raise rates, things you know dump 10 percent, 15 percent, but then they can recover the next uh, few weeks. Right? What is the real threshold? And so, um, David Tepper, hedge fund manager, owner of the Carolina Panthers, and he's a you know a 15 billion dollar guy. He went out and he looked at where the threshold is. And to him, the threshold is about 2.5% on the 10-year bond. And so that, to me, is like a gouge of how big money, Wall Street, where they believe, okay, 2.5%, the dividend on the S&P 500 being what? Uh, uh, 1.5%, I'd rather be in bonds. That's where you see a real sell-off in stocks, but not before that. So to me, most of my focus i don't care about bonds i don't want to be in bonds i care careless i want to be in either stocks gold or anything that has to do more with inflation than deflation at this point
0: so you think that the fed well you don't think we know the fed is pumping money yes. uh and that's pushing inflation and so you would say that inflation will most likely continue unless the bonds get over two and a half percent which at that point they'd have to do something drastic to pull that inflation back
1: yes so um inflation like i said right now is in this chaos mode and you have to remember we live in a super competitive world very globalized if you are able to create huge profits margins in your business somebody else will come in and will start lowering those prices and will shrink your profit margins. Right. We live in a very competitive world. It's very high to raise prices, but consumers have accepted higher prices. You see it everywhere. People are willing to pay more for hotel rooms, more for vacation, more for everyday stuff. Yeah. So I don't think we're going back to the 2010s where you saw muted inflate or muted CPI numbers, 1.2%, 1.4%, where the Fed has to apologize for not meeting its 2% standard. I think we're gonna live in a world where the average CPI numbers will be between 2.5 and 2.8. What does that uh, um, translate to? That translates into asset inflation. But we're going to live in a dual economy where the average guy is going to say, "CPI numbers? Who cares about the 2.8? I I don't have any shares in the S&P 500. I'm a regular worker. I care about my food, my consumer goods and services." Yes. So I think we'll live in a dual economy. Asset prices are going to suffer because of higher inflation. Because now you have competition, you have bonds and whatnot eking out of that. And then on the flip side, the consumer is going to feel like there's higher inflation. It's a dual economy that we're going into in the next so few years.
0: Asset prices will continue to inflate because of the competition and the money trying to get out of bonds. But also consumer goods and services will also inflate. So both of those sectors would inflate.
1: Yes, but asset inflation is not going to be as tremendous as in the 2010s. In the 2010s, huge bull market. I think we're getting into a point where you're gonna see a sideways market to a, uh, uh, a market that climbs slowly. If you're just putting money in the S&P 500, for example, don't expect what you saw in the past 10 years. Could that be more of like a stagflation, like what happened in the 70s? Yes, more of a stagflation in terms of like the big indices, et cetera. Um, it, it, not raging inflation and not shocks. I don't think we're there. What created the 1970s was the decoupling of the dollar from gold. A new financial system, a new currency system. Unless we see one of those, here's three big scenarios. The Nixon shock. Yes, unless we see three big scenarios. One, China saying something like, we want our currency to be modeled like Western countries. Big, big problem for the dollar, why? India, Malaysia, Russia, Australia, all of these countries, dump treasuries by yuance. If you if the if Chinese are willing to stop being currency manipulators and are willing to accept Western standards, it's game over to the And while
0: anything is possible, the aliens could come destroy the earth tomorrow. Anything is possible, the probability of that happening to me seems very extremely low because they would have to open up their books and provide full transparency, which Nobody would ever expect that to happen.
1: Yeah. So exactly, what I'm saying is under this financial system that we have, I don't expect that. But what I'm saying is in the 1970s, what caused, what caused that right. shock. Sure. A current, a new, so new a new shock would definitely do that. But under this current financial system, I don't see raging 18% to 20% inflation where the Fed has to uh, change everything. I think they will just let this chaos end. Let this two, three year period of higher inflation where you have these crazy prints of like lumber and then used cars and then who knows what's next. But they're going to let it play out and they're not going to overreact.
0: And they already told us this. They said they were going to let it run hot. They were going to average out the, the inflation numbers. So they've, exactly. already, they've already told us that. And of course, they can always change CPI again to bring that inflation down as they will. So then um, if I was summarizing what you're saying, if I have this right, you're saying maybe in the next, you know, the rest of this year and the next year, um, maybe no big crash. Um, maybe we'll expect uh, asset inflation to lower. Consumer good inflation could go up a little bit, uh, but they'll try to kind of let that play out. Is that, did I sound yes. that right? So yes. this, uh, a lot of these people are calling for this melt up thesis where we had the final stages before the blow off top. You don't see that? I think it, we already saw that. We already saw it.
1: I think we already saw that. Okay. So. For me, Mark, uh, you remember April, 2020 when uh, oil prices went to negative, negative 35. Yeah. I think to me, that was the bottom for the commodities bear cycle that started in 2011 when gold peaked oh. and went all the way down to negative oil prices. To me, we're in a commodity super cycle that started April, 2020. Same with the dollar. What happened that was so unique with this crash compared to 2008? People sold bonds. And stocks In 2008 People sold stocks Went into bonds For a safe haven In March 2020 People sold 30 trillion dollars Worth of assets Stocks, bonds I don't care I want cash Liquidity Liquidity And the dollar Index exploded So I think the dollar Has reached its high In March 2020 Where it had Uh, nine years of a a bull market. Since 2011, the dollar is in a bull market compared to other currencies according to the DXY. It peaked at 130, now it's at 90 already. So it it already came down a lot. And I think we're we're headed down towards the 75 range. Okay, so we have a commodity super cycle. We have a bear market for the dollar, which will last six, seven, eight years. That's how long they average out in history. So we have those two big thesis and then the melt up. Okay the melt-up to me already happened did uh, we already saw
0: that was from March of 2020 to, to, to now
1: absolutely that was the final run of the melt-up what do we have now now we have a new generation that's coming into the stock market that's something
0: very different right the rise of the Robin Hood traders
1: absolutely you have 80 million Millennials 80 million millennials, they've never invested in stocks before, never. They, they swore off stocks by my dad lost, they're in. And what's unique about them is, they're not only getting into the jobs market, currently millennials are a third of the job market, a third. By 2030, millennials are 75% of America's taxpayers. That's why you're seeing all these politicians, they're not talking about Medicare and Medicare anymore. They're not talking about social security. What are they talking about? They want a child tax credits. Who's that supposed to please? millennials yeah all the new programs are directed toward 25 to 40 year olds because that's where the taxpayer is that's where the future voter is that's where america is now all of these millennials are now forming families getting married having children we have a lack of inventory in real estate two million uh uh homes are shortages because home builders were afraid and the mortgage industry was not
0: existing. Plus, plus Wall Street's taken them off the market.
1: Absolutely, Wall Street came into the real estate game, big change. So we have this new uh, surge in demand from millennials and there's a thing called the Kunraviyev wave and it comes in cycles of about 75 years. The last one we saw after uh, World War II where you had this baby boom, right? The baby boom in the 40s, the biggest companies in America, Gerber. Right? right. Then 50s, McDonald's, Playboy, Coca-Cola. They're teenagers. They're buying junk food and, and they're watching yeah. what they're watching. The 60s, right? They're getting into those higher, um, uh, their, their 20s, etc. You had to fill uh, theaters and cinemas with all these students that wanted to go to uh, the yeah. university. The 1980s, they want to buy homes. You had a real estate boom. 1990s, you had a tech boom because now they they're buying. Uh, these uh you know luxuries etc and then from the 2000s you have a wellness boom right this is the new wave the millennials are going to dictate what's going on social media right now and right now they're inheriting these great jobs they're going to put the money in the markets and you're going to see a lot of investment in the stock market they're in they're not scared out of it anymore that it's not um what we saw until now so i think In the next few years, you're gonna see a lot of demand for real estate. Doesn't mean the prices are gonna keep going up because affordability is definitely declining. It's becoming less and less affordable to buy a house. So it's a very competitive, we're gonna see new entrants, new home builders, new et cetera, a lot of competition. And a lot of competition, what it creates in markets are flat markets. Because now you don't have to chase P ratios higher. Now you're not looking for the one, the fangs. There's so much out there and prices come down. Real estate prices deflate, asset prices flatten out. And I think we're going into this environment that's a commodity super cycle because of demand, a bear market for the dollar, which only accentuates the the commodity super cycle. And for general equities and general real estate, I
0: think more of a moderate uh, increase and not a boom. That's an interesting take, Lior. We've uh, talked to lots of people on this channel, um, many of whom are expecting this big deflationary crash. So it's definitely a different take and I love the way that you've been able to back that up with information. Uh, so that was, that was super insightful. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, I could dig into that. There's so much I'd like to ask, but to be honest, the sun is starting to cook me, and uh, I'm going to turn into a lobster if I stay here too much longer, (laughs) so I think we're going to probably wrap it up with that, Uh, but I appreciate you coming all the way from Israel to have this conversation with us today. Is there anything else that you want to say to wrap it up or direct people where they should uh, go to watch you more?
1: I think uh, if you go to wealthresearchhoop.com, there's a top menu tab that's called Watch Lists. And it's actually filled with PDF downloads of my personal portfolio. So if you want to see exactly what I'm invested in right now, including the limit price orders, the prices that I like to buy into, there's about 70 equities in there. Um, Then you can go ahead and freely download that. And obviously, the newsletter, you can sign up for that. That's for free. And uh, that is the most updated way to stay engaged with what I'm doing.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Lior. Appreciate it. And uh, with that, we're going to sign off.
1: Thank you, sir, for the opportunity.
0: All right.